Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. William T. Volman, everybody. Well, thank you all very much. Um, and um, I was thinking if anyone wants to, maybe we can have um, a quick one across the street afterward at the study. Um, so we shall see. Um, I will read for something like 20 or 30 minutes. Um, so here is part of a chapter called Accidents Do Happen, Sir. Um, everyone can hear me okay? Yeah. Okay. Here's Lewis and Clark's map. At Weipei, there's a large meadow of, meadow of this quamash, or camas, that their squaws like to dig. Chapman believes that we'll find Indians. We'll try to trap them there. Yes, sir. Have you sampled it? It's not bad, sir. A white root. Lewis and Clark also ate prairie dog at Weipei and found it quite delicious just as good as squirrel. Yes, sir. It's mid-July when they start to dig up their camas, so this should be more or less the season when they'll be following that habit, wouldn't you think? I should imagine so, sir. Send me a scout. Ah, it's Jim. At your ease, soldier. How's life? Very good, General. What's the country like around Wepe? Camas Marsh inside forest. What sort of forest? Hackmatack, ponderosa pine, spruce, fir, big trees, General. Sometimes it's very wild. Good choke cherries there, service berries. Can we ambush the bad Indians there? No good poison ivy. Sometimes the wild rose has thorns. Draft me a map of the place, Jim. Oh, I see. Right. You draw very well. Now show me where you'd ambush people who are digging camas. Squaws. That's right. You want to kill their squaws? All right, we kill them. No, I want them to surrender. Then I'll put them on a good reservation. Whatever you say, General. You can go. Sladen, I'd like your opinion of Jim's map. Looks true to me. He's behaved real clever and honest. Anything else? Not much detail in this part, sir. Very observant. In fact, the marsh extends all the way down here. Sir, it's a wonder the way you can remember the lay of a land you've never seen. Oh, me. No man could equal Sherman at that study. As faithful as a daguerreotype. Well, Bomas, Jack Carlton has 39 lumbermen on the go, General, and I've got them all vouchered. Good. Officers, inform your men that we'll sound reveille at 4 a.m. They'll be ready, sir. And make sure Company D looks to their horses this time. Very shabby yesterday. Yes, sir. 
I thought better of Captain Pollock. Yes, sir. Captain Jocelyn. Yes, sir. Did you hear what Jim said just now? I did, sir. He thinks we're going to murder their squaws. Accidents do happen, sir. Your officer of the day tomorrow. I'm holding you responsible to make sure they don't. Not tomorrow. Yes, sir. Plenty of Indians all over the country, sir. Right. You get your boys ready. Major Mason, is everything on the square with you? Oh, yes, General. Thank you, Major. Lieutenant Fletcher, take Lieutenants Wood and Howard to the perimeter and show them how we arrange our pickets. You two newer officers had better pay attention. We're entering real Indian country tomorrow. Yes, sir. Now, Wilkinson, before we turn in, I need you to prepare this dispatch to Colonel Wood in Portland. Yes, sir. That won't take but a quarter hour, and then if you like, I can... Tell me, how's your spot of fever? Oh, not bad, sir. How about you? Does your arm want cleaning out? It's all right. Now, what were you proposing? If it would spare you trouble to dictate a letter to Mrs. Howard. Yes, it's been some weeks now since we set out from Lapwai, hasn't it? Poor lady. That's right, General. 38 days. I hope we can wrap this up before Joseph crosses into Gibbon's department. That would be most convenient, sir. We may be needed to put down those railroad strikes. Yes, sir. Sterling antagonists, these Nez Perses, sometimes I nearly feel the old thrill. Yes, sir. They certainly do know how to murder and run. Well, you finish copying that despatch and I'll write Mrs. Howard myself. After all these years, she's learned that it's no good complaining about my left-hand penmanship. I'll have it ready momentarily, sir. Thank you, Wilkinson, and keep an eye on that fever. The Army needs you. Yes, sir. Swiveling his attention to Portland, he permits himself to remember the house on 10th and Morrison, where tomorrow come late morning with John, Harry, and Bessie off at school, Chauncey Long at his clerkship, Lizzie will be sitting at her high-castled loom in the sunniest corner, overseen from the mantel by the oval drinking water basket, now put to merely ornamental use, which one of our good Christian Indians wove for her out of bear grass. I pray that James is writing home faithfully, because that makes Lizzie so contented. He's cramming to become an engineer. And in the rocking chair, Grace will be darning socks, trying to keep her mother from worrying about this campaign. After we get Joseph, it may be necessary to reestablish our household by the Vancouver barracks. Lizzie will not be happy. Truth to tell, Wilkinson, having educated himself into being a close reader of his commander's miseries, the arm stump does annoy thanks to a certain smoky dawn years away from victory, the foe fusillading us as they have been doing since 5 o'clock a.m., and our side sadly singing, John Brown's body lies a-moldering in the grave. Who was John Brown? Nobody ever knew. Not even that bedraggled widow, so they say. He must have been unspeakably grim, mad, and wicked but he sacrificed himself for our African brethren. 
I have not done this, not yet. I perceive the right and must stand up for it, no matter what my enemies say. But am I brave enough? I think so. How I long to show our Lord and Lizzie, Charlie, all of them, the deep most color of my courage. All the same, who would have imagined that difficulty would be my ease, drudging my bread, my own tears, my wine, sorrow, my happiness? Did my father's early death make me so, or was it always in my blood? And did old John Brown calcify entirely to mercilessness in the performance of his duty, or was he sometimes touched with private tears? Please, Father, don't let them see mine. Dear Jesus, whose cross I kiss, take my hand now. Let me be your younger brother as together we ascend this hill toward death. And Father, I thank you that bravery has proved my best and most sacred joy. Don't let them see. Amen. Let me be the first to follow every order, wise or reckless, so long only as it is just. I wish today I could look on James in his mother's arms and Guy and Gracie dressed up for church and Lizzie, whose baby will come very soon now, more easily than James did, I pray. Yes, and Lizzie. Now see, they got their rifle pits there and there and there and then felled trees. All right, Colonel. So we're going to punch on through this right here, this way. Whoa, Nathaniel, that cannonball sure did skip like the devil. General enjoys to kick him when they're... Well, boys, we're going to reinforce the first line. General French has called for help, apparently. We'll give it our best, sir. That's the spirit. Now, once we cross the railroad track, we'd better look out. There, and a still heavier rolling fire of muskets as Miles Curry's Excelsior, whispering to the nervous horse while Charlie salves lightning saddle sores with good white lead and, General, they're all coming at us. Without skirmishers, I see, training his field glass on that dark stand of timber around which they must ride. Charlie's thoughts corked up tighter than a bottle of new matches. That shows commendable knowledge, but after all, it's their terrain. All right now, form your line. Ready on the line fire at will. That's a fresh regiment, isn't it? Perhaps one of the Mississippi. Fire. A smart reveille, Charlie, but what a pity to fight on the Sabbath. Miles, are the boys ready to go? Thirsty for blood, sir. All right. Sound boots and saddles. Yes, sir. General, the enemy's falling back. I can see that. Send Colonel Miller's regiment forward. Cross should return into reserve. Yes, sir. Sound the move out. Let's beat him down, boys. His brown horse shot through the shoulder at once. He leaps off and mounts the gray, his brother following on the last reserve animal, the zebra. John Brown's body lies a-moldering in the grave. Got him in the belly. Look out, they'll see the sun on your field glass. John Brown's body lies a-moldering in the grave, but his soul goes marching on. Charlie, you'll lead the 61st as well as any man. Two arms. I'll do my best. God be with you, Otis. Two arms, two arms. Praise his name. Good luck, brother. Two arms, two arms, two arms in Dixie. 
he himself rides ahead of the 64th, crying, Forward, forward to Richmond! Shells screeching and whispering, pines and oaks crashing together, feeling rather than hearing the army at his back. Charlie long vanished into the smoke and Miles cantering almost at his shoulder. John Brown's body lies a moldering in the grave. Two arms, two arms in Dixie. Watch out! Advance the flag of Dixie. Hurrah, hurrah! And the sizzling rifle balls and march lies a moldering in the grave. Hurrah, hurrah! And moving forward finally toward French's line, the gray is intelligent and ready to please as a thoroughbred. Hurrah, 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 hurrah! A Mississippi rifle ball strikes him warmly in the forearm. Forward! He rides on. Miles now well en route with the dispatch to cross. Rides on, the pain commencing to grapple at him, its skeleton fingers digging maliciously into his wound, the gray shuddering oddly, and he rides on, rides on, toward the enlarging bearded mouse of the Confederates, who sorrowfully scream, Advance the flag of Dixie! Hurrah! Hurrah! Rides on toward Richmond, may it please God. Hurrah! Otis, Otis, the zebra is killed, so I... You're hurt. Yes, would you kindly bind up my arm? Thank you, brother. How bad is it? So hot this morning and the fair oaks of fair oaks uprooted. What a crime. Isn't it enough for men to kill men? I feel sickish. I suppose because John Brown's body lies a moldering in the grave. John Brown's body lies a moldering in the grave. But his soul goes marching on. Hurrah, hurrah. Not bad. Otis, God bless you, Otis. Two arms, two arms, two arms in Dixie. Don't worry, Charlie boy. Now run back to the 61st, quickly. Go now. Forward, forward. His soul goes marching on. One glove, white, one red, and Lizzie, Lizzie. Two arms, two arms in Dixie. Tell Brooks' regiment to lie down. Yes, sir. And a shell whispers overhead while another smashes down to the left, ruining a fine grove of pines and, good work, gentlemen, we're breaking their line. Isn't that the Seven Pines Crossroads over there? Two arms in Dixie. Yes, sir. How's the wound, sir? Fine. So those must be our tents from yesterday. A shame the men left them. Watch out, General, they're kneeling and firing at us. And a storm of musket balls. Two arms in Dixie, Dixie, Dixie. Forward, forward. Halt them there, down on your bellies and return fire. Dixie, halt, get down, fire at will. And the hideous chuckling of a cannonball rolling between the trees. Sometimes when a ball strikes the road and comes whirling toward him, he likes to jocularly kick it if it is not coming on so rapidly as to do him an injury. And Dixie, 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 and what's going on in the rear? Are they falling back? I just got me one. Lieutenant, sir, can you get us covering fire over here? Fire! General, are you... Where's Miles? Dixie, 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 Dixie. General, find me another horse. I'm afraid you might have to shoot the gray. Dixie, 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 Dixie. General, your arm. Oh, so they shot me again. Well, they haven't shot it off. General, you shall not be killed. Please take your hands off me, Lieutenant. Yes, sir. Dixie. Now help me up if you would. I would appreciate your... Oh... Oh, is he dead? Yes, General. He gave his life for mine, said I should not be killed. Yes, sir. What was his name? 
Lieutenant McIntyre, sir. All right. Is that Colonel Barlow over there? That's right, General. Dixie, 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 Dixie. General, bring him to me. General, your arm looks pretty bad. How are you holding up? A trifle of faint. Take command, Colonel. Dixie, Dixie. Of the whole brigade, sir? Of course not. Cross has the seniority. Just this part. Yes, sir. Colonel Barlow, stand your ground and how the South's great heart rejoices at your cannons ringing voices. Yes, sir. Major, escort General Howard to the rear. Right away, sir. Looks like the enemy's giving way. His soul goes marching on. That's so, General. Lead on my shoulder if you want to. Where's Cross? Dixie. Dixie. I don't know, sir. I think the surgeon's over this way. I wonder how bad this is. The major's so solemn, I may need to convalesce for a day or two, but bloody effusions never do signify one way or the other. For instance, a scalp wound. Managing, sir? Because if you... Cross is in the clover now. He's always longed for this. Lizzie would surely take my hand and... Lizzie, Lizzie, your shining throat's as sweet as Jersey milk. Quite a number of wounded men. Business as usual, sir. Right you are. Advance the flag of Dixie. Hurrah, hurrah. Where's Barlow? I don't see him now. Just keep on, General. Don't worry about a thing. We're nearly there. And tell Barlow, Otis, and Miles must find out from Cross. Well, well, Charlie, you too. Your handsome, narrow, sloping face, the mark of a Howard, blue and sweating. I pray the Lord, spare him as you see fit for mother's sake. But if she is meant to be left with only one son out of us three, then may Roland become her perfect friend. I know Lizzie will do for her whatever any daughter can. Where is it? In the thigh, a moderate wound. You look like a comical old grandpa using your scabbard for a cane like that. In that foxskin robe over your arm, what a thespian touch. Please, Otis, lie down. Let me bind up your arm, General. Good, good. Uh, I see. Orderly, get the general into a stretcher. And then, good afternoon, Dr. Hammond. How's Charlie? I'll examine him next. Now, would you like a nip of anesthetic? At times like this, even a temperance man... No, thank you. Kindly get on with it. Hold his arm to the plank. This will be painful for a moment. There. Good. Again. You're a very brave man, sir. Most fellows flinch, at least. Just a bit more. Oh, I see. I'll have to cut it out. Sir, take a deep breath. Here it comes. This may smart. Good. One more little pinch now. And one more. Clamp that, orderly. Well, General, the collection of metal in your arm is positively eclectic. The first wound was caused by this pretty little round Mississippi bullet. And here's the other one, quite an elongated leaden projectile. Shaped like a mini, I should say. Quite right, General. I suppose future warfare will... Why don't you lie down again, please, General? Everything will get more automatic and... Yes, sir. Once we standardize our calibers, wars won't drag on the way they do now. Yes, sir. 
beautiful and automatic. General, your arm is broken. You need to rest. Please lie down here at once and I'll bring Dr. Palmer. All right. Dixie. And flies descending brassily. Bravery without prudence or mercy. Shiny, gruesome, hateful, tickling me, drinking my blood. Has it been definitively proved that they carry typhoid? Charlie must be very general. General? Oh, good afternoon, gentlemen, or is it still morning? Your arm had better come off, sir. All right. Go ahead. Happy to lose only my arm. Not before 5 p.m., General. Why not? Reaction must set in. Perfect. For every action, so he was taught at Bowdoin College, there's an equal and opposite agony. Corrected first by the tourniquet, biting whiter and whiter, then another stretcher, and the amputating room with its corner mound of hands, legs, and bloody bandages humming with flies. Miles, bless him now, methodically cleaning the teeth of the doctor's saw with that silly handkerchief of his, being like all dandies, a great believer in hygiene, as if he, as if Charlie praying at my sight, and Lizzie, I hope for poor Lizzie, Guy being already a tough little man, aged six, who will surely succeed in life, whereas Gracie, if only Lizzie could be softer with her, but what if God takes Lizzie? in that darkened bedchamber where she's now lying in, with no chloroform for her when the baby comes, what if the angel of death has already Dixie? But grace came easily. Dear Jesus, if it be your will, please spare Lizzie a while for the children's sake. Visit your will on me as it pleases you, but Charlie and Roland will... Lizzie, my Lizzie, my Gracie. Dear Lord, how it stinks in here, a moldering in the grave while little James will never know me. I wonder what he'll become. He's near about as quiet as they say I was. And the new one's still nameless. I pray for an easy birth. And Lizzie, Charlie's lips moving rapidly. Lizzie, my Lizzie, did we beat back Johnston's attack? And then my heavenly father, help me to bear this. How fine that I am not afraid. Miles gripping my arm fast to the blood-rotted, greasy plank unforgettable friend and forgive us now this day this day the other patients screaming as always oh God but I will not oh no no not me no and my Jesus breathe this chloroform now general I'm going to read you one other little flashback to the Civil War. I hear that Colonel Miles is well established at Tongue River. Yes, sir. Men, do your stares signify that even you, in your patched, once blue uniforms, consider me worn out? Few of you can even keep up with this march and yet you blame me for your failure to catch Joseph. Well, that's of no account to me, and here are two copies of my dispatch to him. Your bunch will ride overland, and the rest of you had better run the Yellowstone. How soon can you set out? In a quarter hour, sir. Good luck. God bless you. Thanks, General. We'll do our best. I know you will. Yes, Wood, what is it? 
Arrow's shoe is back on, sir, and the blacksmith says, On that subject, tell Colonel Perry to see to his horse. Incipient hoof disease, I suspect. Yes, sir. Frankly, he should have caught it before I did. I'm surprised. Yes, sir. Has anyone tracked down you, Matilla Jim? Afraid not, General. A sad case. He'll have to be punished, I'm afraid. Wilkinson, take dictation now. Ready, sir. This is to General Sherman. Usual salutation. Had Cushing been at Clark's Fork with the force I had directed him to have, the escape of the enemy across the Yellowstone would absolutely have been prevented. I was much annoyed that Colonel Gibbon saw fit to override my orders so that Cushing received no assistance at Fort Ellis. All the same, we are doing all that can be done to harry Joseph to the finish. Write out a fair copy for me. Wood, where's Dr. Alexander's report? I'll go remind him, sir. Oh, I've just learned that your sketch of Dead Mule Trail will be punished in Harper's Magazine. Congratulations. Thanks, General. That sure was a muddy uphill climb coming away from our Salmon River crossing. Some time ago that was, July 2nd. Yes, sir. By the way, you've not met Colonel Miles. Haven't had the honor, sir. Well, as I must have told you, he's my very dear old friend and a very fine soldier. You know what Sumner used to say about him right at the beginning of the Civil War? Miles was a lieutenant then, and Sumner remarked to me, that officer will get promoted or get killed. Yes, sir. He spurs himself. He's his own best horse. And all my dead before the stone wall of Confederate sharpshooters. And Colonel Miles in a stretcher, holding his neck wound shut with two fingers as he stops to give me some advice as to placing my troops. And yes, sir. You know, he's a whiz at remembering names and ranks, even of men he's never met. I don't know how he does it. God bless him. I used to be better than I am now. On the eve of the Battle of Fair Oaks, he inquired as to how I supposed that General Huger would proceed against us. So I naturally asked whether he had known the general, and he replied something like, Wasn't he in your corps, sir? As indeed he was before he went success. And Miles knew this. Impressive, don't you think? I should say so, sir. A man of varied accomplishments. How like Miles to study up on General Huger? Yes, sir. He was at the hospital tent, holding my arm in position for the surgeon to amputate. Steadfast. Not that I remember clearly, of course. Of course not, sir. And he will surely turn over many a mossy stone to discover ways of getting at Joseph. A most energetic officer. I hope I get to meet him, sir. Oh, you will. You surely will. Remembering when Miles, who was to him, as Wood now is, met him at the edge of a swamp by Fair Oak Station to guide him to the lines. It was a Saturday night, the last night he ever possessed a right arm, and an uncanny feeling infected him like typhus when Miles, immediately after saluting, said to him, General, sir, you had better dismount and lead your horses, for the dead and wounded are here in the darkness most populous with groaning, obscenities, and entreaties. Any torpedoes in this section, Corporal? And a lantern trembling far away. Miles, is that our picket line? Another quarter mile yet, General. Shoot that horse. That one's gone. Oh, sir. And musket rattle. 
round shot tearing brilliant wounds in the sky when the Lord is my soldier, can you walk? Is my, I shall not want, my shepherd. Damn these mosquitoes on my face. Oh, sir, as more bursts of round shot scuttle across the heavens like luminous corpse vermin at which the wounded thousands recommence to groan as if in adoration. Oh, sir, no, that's not the countersign. Union or death? And the bluish-white faces, Oh, sir, where's your regiment? Longstreet must have taken the wrong road, so when we attack, Oh, sir, I said, where's your regiment? They, they, no, that one's dead. Miles, is that their railroad line? Another half mile yet, General. Now, after that lone tree, it may get dangerous. Our boys should have challenged us right here. They might be done for. I said, where's your regiment? He maketh me to lie down in rotting guts. I shall not want and deliver me from... Oh, sir. And around this oak grove, General, there may be a torpedo on the left-hand side. All right. Do you feel all right? Oh, sir. All right. And deliver me from night. Illuminated by helpful miles who possesses the face of a surgeon or perhaps a jurist, high, delicate forehead, and a twin-horn mustache. I feel fine now. Good, you're going home. Soldier, where's your regiment? Kind sir, come to me. The creakings of the stretchers. Oh, sir, kind sir. Just a moment, Miles. Let's see what can be done for that poor fellow. He keeps calling to us. General, we're in danger of being captured. Please, sir. Then we'll keep a lookout, won't we? Oh, please, sir. Just as you like, General. What regiment do you belong to? The 5th Mississippi. Lantern across the secessionist face and the whizzing whisper of gunpowder somewhere beyond the dark trees and what do you want? Oh, kind sir, I'm cold. General, shall we continue on? Oh, sir, I'm cold. You have a good warm blanket over you, as pale as Lizzie's forehead. Cold. Oh, sir, oh, I'm so cold. Once at West Point, after he had taught his final mathematics classes of the morning, he was taking a walk with Lizzie, when the nanny came running. Oh, General, oh, Mrs., your poor little lamb. And when they had rushed back, they found that Gracie had choked on one of her brother's marbles and lay apparently dead. The corner of her mouth was clotted with blood, and you have a blanket on you, soldier. Yes, sir, uh, yes, sir, some kind gentleman from Massachusetts gave, gave me his blanket, but, sir, I'm cold. He tickled the marble out of the child's throat, at which... She opened her bright eyes, and the enemy boy's blue and gasping face called, sir, and Miles, standing silent, holding their horses. And since there was nothing to do for him, they left him to die behind his Union blanket. Thank you very much. Now I can actually see you with my reading glasses on. Um, so, um, any questions? Um, if not, that's
That's fine. You can yeah. talk to me later. Yes. So how have you responded to the review? Um, well, mostly they seem like very nice reviews, so I'm flattered. <laughs> um, any other questions? <laughs> Um, okay. Okay. So, so as far as you've had some pretty good achievements, how do you how do you feel about this one? Well, you know, probably as any writer should, I always feel that the book I'm working on is my best one. So, um, I'm very I I really enjoyed working on it, if that's the word. You know, as you can see, um, it's a very, very depressing book, but then most of my books are anyway, so... <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I did my best. I try to always do my best. Um, yes? I wonder if you could just talk about a little bit the genesis of the formal approach with the indentation and where that came from. Well, you know, Seven Dreams is meant to be... Um, a book or a septology of American landscapes. And I remember when I wrote the first one, uh, The Ice Shirt, I was able to stand in the ruins of Eric the Red's farm in Iceland. And, you know, here were the stones that he'd put together with his own hands, and here was the view that he saw. And I thought, okay, so I'm getting a little something of him just by being here. Uh, I can imagine a little bit, you know, what his morning chores might have been, you know, what kind of effect that landscape might have had on him, what things he'd be looking for. And so when I was writing this book, I thought, all right, I want the landscape to be primary. Um, my original plan was that it would be three columns, and the landscape would be in the middle column, and then um, various characters would be speaking and acting and so forth back and forth across this landscape that would have its own voice um, and maybe I'll actually do that sometime but for this book it ended up seeming um, too rigid you know when the, um, the the parts that I read with the Battle of Fair Oaks where Howard loses his arm and then um, where Howard and Miles find the Confederate soldier there are all these voices um, and it probably seems um, um, more confusing when I read it than when you see it on the page, but you can kind of get a sense after a while, you know, that there are different people talking. Um, maybe one way to do it um, orally would be to have um, different keys or different volumes or something. But anyway, on the page, I want I want it to be like sort of a cacophony, but actually a topography too. So you can see, all right, this. Confederate soldier who's saying, oh, sir, kind sir, he's way over here on the right-hand side of the page at first, and Howard and Miles don't even hear him. They're walking through all these other uh, wounded men, and then um, it gradually gets de-indented more and more to the left of the page until finally Howard has to engage with him. So that was my rationale for doing it that way. Uh, yes? Uh, so in terms of, like, blocking it out that way, but also it seems like both of the pieces you read kind of have rhythm to them with the Dixie, 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 and then the Oh, Sir. Um, do you, is that something when you're, like, when you're first writing, you, you're already finding, or is that something that kind of comes through in rewrites? Or how, do you, how do you go about finding that? Um, well, you know, I knew that in a Civil War battle, 
there would be charges, counter charges. Um, the two sides would be singing their songs, and that would be, you know, a very good um, identification tag. You hear someone, um, you know, shouting or chanting something about Dixie and the flag of Dixie and the sh- this and that. You say, okay, so they must be the Confederates. Um, and you want to drop that in where it's appropriate. You know, when Howard is getting uh, weak and, he, and the Dixie starts sort of going crazy and then sort of dropping down across the page, um, it's easy to represent it that way. And it doesn't really matter in terms of the action um, where you put that because they were probably doing it all the time. So you just say, all right, where do we want to add confusion or add imminence? You know, as Howard is riding deeper into the valley, we want the, or into the, the battle, sorry, we want those voices to be getting louder, more pressing. Um, any other? Yes? Can you talk about the places where, in your work, where the supernatural shows up and what leads you there? Because there's so much just really grounded in history and what is, what at least the reader think is real, and then every once in a while, these moments will show up, and then I'm just sort of wondering what leads you there. Um, you know, I don't um, believe or disbelieve in the supernatural. I think that I don't know enough to say. Um, and, um, you know, Jung at one point said that he thought that um, a ghost was actually the function of some um, repressed and then released psychic content, which didn't mean that for him that there wasn't a ghost, he believed. But for me, um, it, supernatural experiences are definitely a part of the human condition. Um, and that's why my previous book you know, was a bunch of ghost stories. It was interesting for me to think about death um, uh, because my father had just died and I was grieving for him and thinking about my own death. Um, um, in the seven dreams, um, the supernatural often appears through um, various Native American or uh, ancient European myths. Um, so I guess there are different reasons for it in my work. Uh, yes? I was in a position of defending you on my Facebook page with a bunch of academic feminists who read your New York Times piece, the recent one, and felt that you had gratuitous view of women. And I was totally at your defense because I've followed your career and I've actually sat down at one of those dinner sessions with you that you invite us on. I know who you are inside. Oh, well, thanks for defending me. Yeah. But do you ever get, I, I imagine, do you ever get these fierce arguments with feminists for some of the things you're saying about women? Uh, let's see. Um, well, you know, since I'm not on the Internet, um, then most of the time people don't see me. So I I don't have a lot of problem, I guess. Um, I remember when Horace for Gloria came out, um, I got some static. Um, but um, fortunately, there were some prostitutes in the audience who defended me. So, um, Do you see any validity in the argument? Uh, no, I, in the arguments that I... Um, I objectify or mistreat women in some way. That you're coming from a really male-centric point of view and that you're not seeking to see any more than you're kind of conferring conferring status story. Uh Uh-huh. Well, 
I would say absolutely I'm coming from a male-centric point of view. And, um, you know, I do what I can to try to understand the other. That's why I did the cross-dressing stuff. And some people can say, oh, you know, that's, that's great that Bill does that. Some people can be disgusted. Some people can say, oh, Bill's just appropriating women's bodies and women's identity. But it seems to me that every person has the right um, to, um, to pick and choose and play with all of our collective cultural content. And so I have a right in these seven dreams to create um, an Indian voice and do my absolute best. Um, and I have my right to uh, invent female characters and imagine myself as a woman um, and um, um, you know if I if I didn't think I did then I wouldn't do the things that I did so I guess that's what I would say um, any other questions um, yes can you just tell us about, about the photographs and the viewers yours? Yes, those are mine. And um, they were taken at various locations on the Nez Perce Trail. Um, so they were places that seemed appropriate for the various parts. Um, well, I will be up here signing books. And remember, anyone who wants to, um, we can duck across the street for a few minutes. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. And we hope to see you soon.